uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes several I am statements. He says that I am the bread of life in John chapter 6, verse 35. He says, I am the light of the world in John chapter 8, verse 12. I am, he just says, I am three times in chapter 8, verse 24, 28, and 58. I am the door, chapter 10, verse 7. I am the good shepherd, chapter 10, verse 11. I am the resurrection and the life, chapter 11, verse 25. I am the way, the truth, and the life, chapter 14, verse 6. And in our chapter today, he says in John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. And that wording is very important. He doesn't say, I'm a vine. He says, I'm the true vine. Implying, of course, there are fake vines out there. You got to remember that Jesus' claims, his gospel, is both inclusive and exclusive, right? It's not just offered to a certain kind of people, to a certain kind of culture, to a certain kind of race. No, he doesn't just offer it to a specific people. It's offered to all. Yet, as we read, just read, he is the way, the truth, the life. Jesus' gospel, the good news, is both inclusive and exclusive. And we read in John chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. The word there translated as vine dresser can also be translated as gardener. So what does a gardener do? It's pretty straightforward. Takes care of a garden. Make sure that there's no weeds in the garden, making sure all the plants are healthy and bearing fruit. Now, of course, I'm going to provide a caveat here. When we see these figures of speech that Jesus Jesus uses, we got to be careful with how far we take that imagery, right? Because sometimes it's only meant to be taken so far. And spoiler alert, in John chapter 16, verse 25, Jesus says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. Jesus himself tells us that he speaks in figures of speech. He speaks uh, not literally. He has some sort of uh, message. He has some sort of underlying meaning, right? So we have to be careful when we read his words. We can't always take everything literally. And so all that being said, verse 2, we continue on chapter 15. Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, he cuts off, And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruits, right? So it's straightforward. Those not bearing fruit, cut off, removed. The Greek word here is ire. The branches that are bearing fruit, he prunes. We miss a play on words here. That word there translated as prunes is kathire. So we have ire, those not bearing fruit, ire, cut off. Those bearing fruit, Kathire, and this is the only time that this Greek word kathire is used in all of Scripture. It's kind of an interesting word because it really kind of means something like cleansing by cutting off, pruning, right? You you cleanse by cutting off. And why are these fruit-bearing branches pruned? So that they may bear more fruit. Or we cut ourselves short, pun intended, we cut ourselves short and even are arrogant if we think we don't need pruning. But sure, maybe you're bearing fruit. Maybe your life uh, shows that you are indeed fulfilled by the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit is working in you. But don't be mistaken, just because you're bearing fruit does not mean that you don't need pruning. So straightforward, don't settle. Don't grow complacent. Don't grow lukewarm. We can always use pruning. Verse 3, we continue. 
He says, already you are clean. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. How can we be clean if we don't know how we are cleansed? Jesus has been very clear with how we are cleansed. In John chapter 13, in verse, in verse 8 here, he tells Peter, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. It's straightforward. How are we clean? How are we made cleansed? Jesus does the cleansing. He continues in verse 4 of chapter 15. He says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. He has used this language quite a bit in the Gospel of John, using the word abide. Right? And it's repeated because it's important. And the, the tense of the word here, the verb here, is something that has happened and continues to happen with no end. So when he says abide, he doesn't mean, all right, you're going to abide in me just for a little bit. When he says abide, you abide in me, and that continues on with no end. Not to mention the, the tense here, or the, it's an imperative tense. Imperative. It's vital that we abide in Jesus. Why is it vital? Because the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, just as you cannot bear fruit apart from Jesus. Right, the purpose of a branch on a vine is to bear fruit. When we're not bearing fruit, we're not living according to the purpose of God because the purpose we have in the vine is to bear fruit. And maybe this is taking the interpretation a little too far. Uh, do as I say, not as I do. But does a fruitless branch benefit anyone? No. No. We are part of the vine to bear fruit. Yes, it certainly is a benefit to us to be a part of the vine. It is a good thing. It is a blessing to us to be a member of Christ. But we are not living according to our purpose. We're not living according to the purpose of God if we do not bear fruit. If we're not a benefit to others, we're not living according to our purpose. To be a part of the vine means we bear fruit. Thus, we are a benefit to others. We're not a part of the vine for our own benefit. Right? This is not living off the system. We live for others. Verse 5, we continue on. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. All right, so not only is our only hope to bear fruit in the vine, quite literally, we can hope to do nothing if we're not a part of him. We can do nothing Apart from Christ, and I think we can take this to the most literal extent because in John chapter 1, verse 3, what does it say? All things, all things, including all people, were made through him, and without him, that is Jesus, not anything was made that has been made. So quite literally, quite literally, we can do nothing apart from Christ. Verse 6, we continue on. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered together and thrown into the fire and burned. Being burned is conditional. It's conditional on whether or not a branch is abiding in the vine. And then verse 7, we still see another condition for something. It says, Jesus says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. Right? So there's a condition here. There's a condition here for asking whatever you wish. Right? It's easy for us to just focus on the second half of this verse. Like, oh, cool. I can just ask whatever I wish. It's going to be done for me, Jesus. The condition being abiding in Jesus and his words abiding in you. 
Or there are preachers, as we know, that have made a living off of just focusing on the second half of this verse, focusing on that kind of theme. Hey, we can ask whatever we wish, and God's going to bless us. God's going to give us what we want if we're, we're with him, right? But Jesus, we have to abide in Jesus, and his words have to abide in us. And if you remember, John chapter 14, verse 13, uh, Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. I refer back to the sermon, it was maybe four weeks ago, it's called Trust, Ask, Do. We specifically talked about what it might mean to ask something in the name of Jesus, but just straightforward, Jesus is not a magical genie. Right? Jesus did not mean that, hey, you know, you can ask me whatever you want, ask me your three wishes, rub the magic little bottle, and then I'm going to give you whatever you want. That's not at all what Jesus meant. He's not some magical genie. We continue verse 8. He says, by this, my father is glorified by what? He says, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. By bearing fruit, which is a result of abiding in him, we glorify God. And not only that, we prove to be his disciples. And if you remember, what else did Jesus say, say that proves we are his disciples? That people are going to know we're disciples by what? If we love as he has loved us. So if you get the sense here, maybe you're making the connections now, that abiding in Jesus is directly connected to love. Right? So we're going to get to that in a second. What does it look like? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? It's pretty clear, even if it's kind of confusing, how Jesus, he's kind of cyclical in the way he builds his theology here. But verse 9, we continue on in chapter 15. He says, As the Father has loved me, so, uh, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Another thing we see here, abiding in Jesus, abiding in his love. You can't do one without the other. Those seem to go together. If you don't abide in, if you don't abide in his love, you're not abiding in Jesus. If you don't abide in Jesus, you're not abiding in his love. Verse 10, If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Here's how you know if you're abiding in Jesus, if you keep his commandments. It's really straightforward. If you keep his commandments, that's how you know if you're abiding in him. What commandments? John 13, 34. What does he say? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And again, I urge you, don't, don't read this text. Don't think of this in a legalistic way, thinking, okay, so i gotta, I got to earn my spot in order to abide in Jesus. That's not what Jesus is teaching. He's not at all teaching a works-based salvation here. you got to keep in mind, when he talks about abiding in him, abiding in his love, it's in the context about him talking about sending the Holy Spirit. Chapter 15 through chapter 16, verse 4, is actually a Holy Spirit sandwich, really. You have him talking about the Holy Spirit at the beginning of that, and then you have him talking about the Holy Spirit at the end of that. Right, so when he talks about abiding, when he talks about keeping his commandments, when he talks about uh, loving him, when he talks about us loving one another, he says all of this in the context of him and the Father sending the Spirit. Because he knows that we cannot truly love we cannot really even truly abide in him unless he sends us his spirit. And as we close here, verse 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He's pretty clear why he tells us these things, that you may have my joy, that you may be glad. Now keep in mind, there's multiple times where he tells them, don't be afraid, don't be troubled, implying that they are. 
Rather, you can have you can have joy. You can have my joy. You can be glad because these are good things. To abide in him, the vine, the true vine, means we are loving him. We are loving one another. We are keeping his commandments. And by abiding in him, we have life, abundant life, eternal life. And so if you haven't already, you can be grafted into the vine. Or maybe, maybe you just need prayers for pruning. Maybe you know that you've got something going on in your life that's getting in the way of you bearing more fruit. Maybe you've grown complacent. As we all need, we all need pruning. So come as we stand and sing.